And I want to look at Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse number 5. And it says this, Jesus is speaking, well, he's about to. The apostle said to the Lord, he said, increase our faith, make our faith bigger. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, an impossibility becomes possible in faith. Um, we talked about last week that the mulberry tree does not survive in a water-based soil. It has to have actual soil for it to survive. And so uh, what Jesus is saying is something that's not possible, but he says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it becomes much. This is what I want to say when I make to you. Little becomes much in the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. Little becomes much in the kingdom of God. Mustard seed is not big, but the Bible says that when it's planted into the ground, it becomes the largest of all the herbs in the ground, so big that the branches actually provide enough, enough stability for a, a bird to be able to make its nest in its branches. And this has been the story of this church from its inception. We um, just came back. Uh, Lonnie Bingo was here on Thursday. Now, did y'all enjoy Lonnie? By the way, Lonnie did a great job. And and Lonnie um, and Kim had stayed for a couple extra days. We're friends, and so uh, they'd never seen um, where we started our church. We showed them the hotel, and then we showed them the place that we had our church for the longest period of time before coming here. Uh, and it was in a um, school building. It was Deer Creek Elementary School. And it was on Kinnikinnick. And, um, and so, anyways, you had to know somebody to know somebody to know where it was at. It was almost like a secret location. We didn't want it that way, but that's what we could afford, and it was available. And so um, I took him back there, and I said, I told him the story about how uh, the kid, the, the teenager that would open the building for us, was, wasn't, he didn't show up, on a, and it was a, actually it was a Friday night. And that was when we had our midweek service. And so he um, didn't show up, and so we were left with nobody to open the building. So I ended up having to have church outside on the school property. There's a little, like a little cove, a little, um, like a little spot where the buildings kind of met together, and there was a, a tr big tree, and then there was like benches that went around the tree and like a little picnic table, and that's where we had our church service that night. I was so embarrassed. We had visitors show up. It wasn't a large crowd, about 25 people, but you know it was our church, and, and here I am. I'm up there talking about prosperity. Can you see me in a suit talking about prosperity, and we can't even get in the building. We're renting, and so I'm out there. It's hot. It's in the middle of July. I've got sweat rolling down my back, and I mean, it's just like, and I, all I could think was finish and get out of here. Just finish and get out of here. And so I finished, and I wanted to get out of there. And so um, as I'm, I'm kind of making our way to the car, this young man chases me down. Pastor, hold on, pastor. And he had one of our packets in his hand. And um, I knew what the packet was, and I didn't know what he was going to talk to me about. And he comes over and says, I want you to know. He says, I filled out the packet, and he says, and I'm going to become a member of the church. I'm joining the church tonight. I said, my God, if anybody wants to join this church <laughs> after being locked out of a building, praise God, God is at work. Amen. So that's kind of, uh, that's been the history of our church. We didn't have a lot, but we had what we, we utilized what we had. When we first came to the, uh, the city, we came in 1999, 20 years ago. And we came into the city, and um, we just had a little bit of room on our credit card to get the church started. 
and another man who actually came and uh, he met with us, and he, he was from Milwaukee, and he said, I want to start planting seed into this church because I believe in this church. Now, we didn't know him. He just heard we're going to start a church. And so um, we're not quite sure how he did. I, we don't know if it's for the Bloyd location. I, we're not sure. We didn't know him. And so um, we had a little P.O. box. I remember that, that we had set up here in Milwaukee so people could start mailing us as we were setting up. We, had, we didn't have one church service yet. And for the next six, about five or six months or so, he sent us a check every single week, every week. And at the bottom of the check in the memo, he would write the Milwaukee Miracle. And so we had a little money that he supplied for that, a little room on our credit card, hallelujah, got us a, got us a, a little room, <laughs> everything was little, got us a little room on Layton Avenue at the uh, Howard Johnson's, now the Airport Inn. That room doesn't exist, but it's no longer a, um, a room where you can host any type of event. It only sat about 50 people, and that's where we were for the first eight months of our church's inception because somebody believed, somebody who, by the way, never ever came to the church. He never showed up. We don't know what happened. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as the church opened, the check stopped. But praise God, something God spoke to somebody and the little they had and the little we had came together and we were able to plant a church. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so... And so we've seen how God's done it over the years. I can tell you one testimony after the next of how God has grown our ministry. And, and um, we did a production called Heartbreak Hotel, Hotel Hallelujah. And without getting to all of that, it was a big endeavor for a small church. And yet a church about at that time, about maybe 35 people, we were able to put this production on. We did it six weekends in a row. And for a small church of 35 people, we won over 300 people to Jesus Christ. And many of them returned back to the church. And became members of our church. Amen. Little is much in the kingdom of God. And I want to say that about your life. You may feel like you don't have much to offer, but don't go by that. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's a negative report. God's report is if you can believe me, what you have can multiply and become greater than what you ever, ever believed it could be possible. And I want us to look at that today in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha is the main prophet. And uh, by the way, this woman had to be a church woman because she was a wife of a prophet. And Elisha said, your servant, my husband, um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, she said, your, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditors come to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? So this woman is overwhelmed. She is despondent. She is discouraged. She's in fear. Her sons are going to be taken away. Her husband just died. She's an emotional wreck. She can't pay off the debt. She's above her head financially and emotionally and every other way. And Elisha's response to her with that was this. What? He says, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. And I bet she was thinking, I'd rather borrow them full vessels. Come on, somebody. But get them empty ones, he said. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour it into all those vessels. And set aside the full ones. 
So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and, and he said, go sell the oil Pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, I, I, that's, that's, that's chalked full of revelation. But the man of God, after coming to her, and the man of God represents the word of the Lord. Today, you're receiving the word of the Lord. Not my word, but what his word has to say. And so like Elisha, I can become like a mouthpiece to speak the word of the Lord into your life. And when she told him about all the bad things that were going on in her life, the first thing he said was, don't tell me about what you don't have. Tell me about what you do have. And now watch this. Her first response was not maybe the response he was looking for. That, that woman obviously had went through that house with a fine-tooth comb looking for any possibility to do anything to sell something off or something to be able to appease uh, and, 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 and to be able to paid down that debt that she owed. She went through everything. How many know what I'm talking about? How many has not, you've been like, you've been not to the store, but you're hungry, and you go into the pantry, and you can't find nothing in there but some old crackers, come on, and then you go into the refrigerator, and there's nothing in there but maybe some pickles and some mayonnaise and some things you really can't put together to eat. You go, oh, man, I got to get to the store. And you go back down, and you sit and watch television. An hour later, you're hungry still. You get back up, go back to the same pantry, come on, look again, open the refrigerator again, look, come on, and you do that two or three times just going, what is in here? And there ain't nothing in there. My point is that's probably how this woman was. She'd already been through the house ten times. So when he asked her, what do you have in the house, I'm sure she was perplexed, but she had the answer because the first thing she said was, she said, I have nothing. I've looked. I've come up with nothing. Be careful when you say you have nothing. It's not that you have nothing. It's that what you do have you don't think is enough to fix your problem. And that's just like the devil to walk up in your life and say you've tried and you tried and nothing's happened and you continue to fail. You better look again. There's something about you you aren't seeing. There's something in your house. Touch your neighbor say it's in your house. How can two people who have no laboratory to test in or no scientific education, no background of biological training, no DNA training, no money, no house, no job, ain't got no common sense, but can get together and make a baby. You ain't got to know how it works. All you need is a seed, and if you put the seed in the ground, it will bring forth a harvest. Everybody say, all you need is a seed. Now, Jesus talked about this, and he talked about how the man, uh, this wealthy man, had servants, and obviously he was a good man. And he went and he got three servants together, and to one, don't know why he chose them in this order, or don't, I, the Bible doesn't say. Jesus never tells that part of the story. But he says, to one he gives five talents, to another he gives two talents, to another he gives one talent, okay? And he says, now I'm going away and I'll, I'll come back. Doesn't tell them what to do with it. Just gives it to them. So they all go and do different things with, with what they've been given. The man comes back and he calls for them and says, I want to give an account. Just curious. What happened? Says, I've been gone. I know I gave you five. 
What happened with you? Oh, sire, I took those five, I invested them, and here, I've got five more. I doubled the investment. He goes, well done. Very good job. Come and enter into my kingdom. You know, I'm going to make you a ruler because you were faithful over what is least. I'm going to give you much. If you're faithful over the small, come on, somebody, little can become much. And then he said to him, he said to the guy with the two, he goes, how about you? He goes, same here. I took and invested it, and I got two more besides the two you gave me. I doubled the event. Well done. And you will enjoy the rest of the kingdom. I'm going to give you much because you were faithful over what is least. And to the last man, he said, what about you? He said, you gave me one. He said, yes. He said, well, here it is. I've got one coming back. He goes, what happened? He's disappointed. What happened? He said, well, I knew you to be an austere man, which means you know every penny, you've counted everything, and you're tough on, and you're tough on people that don't, don't come back. If you lose stuff, you're going to be tough on them. So he said, because of that, I was afraid, and I took the money you gave me, and I buried it in the ground so I wouldn't lose it because I didn't want to be look bad in your eyes and off with my head. So what I did was I saved it so when you came back, see, I could give it back to you. You know what he said? He said, you wicked and lazy servant. He said, these two have done and have invested and have got. He said, you could have put that money in the bank if you're half thinking and at least got a little bit of interest out of the deal. But because you were afraid and because you saw me as something I am not, you cannot enter my kingdom and then takes from the man what he has and gives it to the man who has five talents. Now, don't judge the man because he wants to give the talent to whom he wants to give it to. But what he's doing is he's giving it to the man he knows can take something and take a risk. You see, I don't believe for one second. I don't believe for one second that if the man lost all the money but he went out and tried, I don't believe he would have been, he would have been upset for one second. At least he got up out of the boat like Peter and started walking on the water. And though he sank, he was better than the rest. I think it's this, that God says I can't take it when somebody, I've given them a talent, I've given them abilities, I've given them resources, and they will not use it for my glory. He said, you're wicked and you're lazy. Let me make this statement. Just like this man who invested in his servants, God invests in you. God invests in his people. It may seem small at the time, but it can turn into something huge if you operate it by faith. We invest, church, in what we love. Whatever you love is what you invest in. What do we invest with? What is it we invest into love? We invest our time we invest our talents or our abilities, and we invest our treasure, our time, our talents, and our treasure. That's the things we have to offer in this life to invest into God's kingdom and for God's way. Now look at Psalms 23, verse 1. And by the way, this is where David gushes over God. He yields to God everything. He declares to God, you are in control. You are my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now watch this. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand something. He, as soon as he makes the Lord his shepherd, now he's led by waters. Now he's led by green pastures. Now his soul is restored. Now though he walks in a, in a, in a bad way, in the, in the, in the path of darkly, the Bible says the valley of darkness, what happens? He, God says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of enemies. Come on, somebody. He said, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. There is a, a, a surplus, an a, 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 a overabundant supply of everything he needs. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So God blesses him. And then watch this. He says, this is where he invests. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How come God's people don't live like the books say? How come God blesses us and we get what we need in the house of God, but as soon as we get what we need, we're back right out there and doing what we want to do? And I don't need to tell you, I can look around the room right now. We got good weather outside and look at the crowd. I am embarrassed by it, but you know what? You're here. I'm so proud of you, and I'm going to give you my best, and God's going to give you his best too. But it's hard when I've been preaching this gospel for 20 years, telling people how they should live according to God's standard, and they continue to do what they want to do. But thank God we got a people that is not moved by that stuff. You know why? You know that you're making an investment in God's house. You're making an investment in the kingdom of God, and God is not a liar. Whatsoever man sows, that he shall also reap. Amen. So I know the same will work in your business, the same will work in your relationships, the same will work in your own house, but my job is to teach you about the kingdom in God's house. And God wants his house to be a priority in your life and in my life. Why? Because it's the gathering of God's people. Why? It's where lives are transformed and forever changed. It's where we receive our marching orders from the Almighty God. It's where we receive the vision that God has set forth for our city. It's where we have fellowship with our brothers and sisters for sustained encouragement for the weak. It's where the word of God is preached and our faith is built up. It's a command of scripture to assemble ourselves together. It's where we are planted so that we can bloom and flourish. It's, it's what the Bible says. It's where we have corporate worship and God inhabits the praises of his people. It's where the power of God is released. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. It's where the river flows according to Jeremiah and we get swept away by the current of God's glory. It's where generations of family members are blessed, healed, delivered, saved, restored, and encouraged. It's where our city has a place to focus on God. It's where God meets his people with angelic activity according to Jacob. And Jacob fell asleep. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And he called it Bethel. This is none other than the house of God. And the angels were ascending and descending on that spot. Yes, the supernatural is in the house of God. 
The church is what Jesus loved so very much that he gave himself to die on an old rugged cross for her, according to Ephesians chapter 5. We can't overlook it. We can't escape it. No wonder why the devil works overtime to keep God's people from the house of God. I want to say and be on record, I thank God for television. I thank God for radio. I thank God for the internet. But it in no way excludes what God ultimately planned, and that's the body, the many-membered body of Christ coming together as one. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Even more as you see the day approaching. This Right here is God's design, God's idea, God's will, and God's way. The church is where souls are saved. And by the way, this is a soul-winning church. How many churches do you know of? Not to, not to be prideful, but to remind you, because we get spoiled up in here. How many churches do you know get 500 people saved in two services I don't know very many. There are some, not many. Thank God we have a church that's serious about going after our lost loved ones and friends. Amen. I know that lake looks pretty. I know we got all kinds of fairs and things going on in the city. You need to make your plans around that and make sure you get to the house of the living God. Amen. Let's be honest. Most of us don't miss a meal. If we go one day, it's like, oh, my God, I'm dying. Truth is, you can go a while without it, but not forever. Not forever. And God's people can't go forever without being in an environment to hear the word of God and to fellowship with other believers like unto themselves. He made it that way. 2 Corinthians 9, this is found on the Amplified Version says, remember this, he who sows sparingly and, gr and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. And he who sows generously, that blessings may come to someone, will also reap generously with blessings. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his own heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves, takes, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnish an abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That's a mouthful. And I'm not going to read it again for sake of time. I told the first service the same thing, but you need to get that scripture. Get your go if you don't have an amplified Bible, Google it. It's free. Download it. Put it somewhere on your phone and start rehearsing that thing and meditating that thing and speaking that thing and getting it down in your spirit. This is God's design. God says, I want you to learn to become a sower. And if you learn to sow what you do have rather than complain about what you don't have. Take what you do have, put it into use. I will multiply it and I will make you self-sufficient, requiring no aid. 
In other words, God said, I'm a, like, on, on Thursday night, the man of God gives a word that the reaper overtakes the sower, sower overtakes the reaper. It just keeps you sow, you reap, you sow, you reap, you sow, you reap. It just keeps, after a while, the mechanism is in place. And he makes us self-sufficient. Everything you need, you already possess, but it's in a small quantity right now. Just like seed in your hand don't look like much. and if you, if you eat it, that's the last meal you'll have. But if you'll, by faith, put it in the ground and trust that it's there in the ground, it will bring forth a harvest. It will blow your mind. You'll have bushelfuls of seeds the next time and a harvest to enjoy and eat. Amen, church. Be self-sufficient. Touch your neighbor. See, be, be self-sufficient. Not that this is too spiritual, but it reminds me when I was a kid, you know, I didn't even ask my parents for money because I already knew what the answer was. No. Their, their philosophy was if you want something, you work for it. You work for it, you'll get paid for what you do. Take that money and go buy something. And their philosophy was right because by the time you got done earning that money, you may not even want the thing that you wanted to begin with. I don't want to spend my money on this. This is my money, you know, Right? And it's a lesson you learn in life. And so when I was a kid, I mean, a lot of us grew up this way. And so if I wanted something, I had to go do something. So I had to go mow a lawn. My friend, uh, since my childhood friend, so I've known since I was 10 years old, and, um, and he showed me a picture of the lawnmower we bought together at a garage sale. I paid for half. He paid for half. We didn't spend our money on a bike. We went and got a lawnmower. And it was the push kind. Come on, somebody. I think we got it for like 15 bucks. And what we did, we went around all the houses, all in the neighborhood, and we asked if we could mow their lawn, I think like five bucks or whatever it was. And we would mow their lawns, and then we'd take that, and we'd split that money, and we always had money. We used, back in the old days, we didn't call it, but the old folks used to say, folding money. Come on, somebody. A little folding money. Now it's just plastic, but a little folding money in your pocket. And so we had, if we wanted, if we, you know, in the wintertime, we'd go out and we'd shovel driveways. How many know what I'm talking about? Whatever you needed to do. And so if you would put some effort into it, you could become self-sufficient. How much more when you do it for God and he gives you a promise? He says if you'll do this, 30, 60, and 100 fold will come back in your life. We can't buy into this world that's saying you get something for nothing. Nonsense. The economy will crash. It will never, ever sustain itself. No, you have to say, Lord, first of all, you put God first, I promise you. I promise you. It's like that woman who thought she had nothing, a miracle will happen in your house. Everything we need is in this church. If this church needs it done, it should be done right here in this house, right amongst us. Everything you're in, you need in your house, it can be done and will be done. It's already there. It's already there. There's a miracle in the house, just like the woman in 2 Kings. And the man of God told the woman, he said, look, go out to your neighbors and borrow vessels, but not a few. What was he saying to her? He was saying, get your faith out there. Because she's looking at that little jar with a little oil on the bottom of the little jar. So it's little on top of little. And now she, he says, go get some vessels. She's probably thinking one or two. Man, that would be unreal. Just fill in one. But he said, don't get just a few. In other words, start believing that all things are possible. Start believing that it will be done just as the word is being spoken to you. Get your faith. Start believing. Put 
forth the effort. Take one step. I got to say this. This principle does not work for just Christians. It is a principle that's in the earth that anybody who operates it, it will be done. The Bible says, whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes the things he says shall come to pass, it will obey him. Whosoever, it's already a principle. So now all the wealthy people you've ever met are people that at one point decided, I'm going to take the risk and step out with what I do have. And church, I'm tired of the world and the wicked becoming wealthy. Why is it that the church, you know why? Because we've been sold a bill of goods. And the bill of goods is this, is that if we sit back and wait long enough, God will do something for us. No, he's already done what he's going to do. What he wants you to do now is take the little you do have and walk it out by faith and it will grow. It'll multiply. It'll continue to pour. Faith is a positive expectation. It's saying I know something's going to happen on what I have. When my wife and I came to the city in, uh, 20 years ago, and, and uh, we didn't know anybody. We had a couple people that came with us. And, um, and so we, we just started getting the word out that we're going to start a church to those, to those two people, anybody we knew. And um, <clears throat> we, didn't have, we didn't have anything. So we had the little money the man gave us. Like maybe that was ended up being six hundred bucks, maybe something like that. And then we had a little room on our credit card. You know that story. And then we came, but all we could offer was us. So we could give our time, and we could give our treasure, but we could also give our talents and our abilities. So the first thing that we did, we didn't have a children's room. In fact, the room we had only was one room. That's all we could afford. And so um, any kids that came in, my wife decided to make a little, uh, a little gift bags for the kids. And we didn't have a lot of money, but what we did was had little Ziploc bags. And then we put coloring books in there. You get a dollar store or whatever it was, and crayons and a few other things. And we'd stick it in so when the kids came, they'd have a little toy or, or that we put in there and a little coloring book. And they could color next to their parents and kind of keep quiet while the ministry was going on. That was our first children's ministry. And then when we finally got a building, she was the first children's ministry pastor. Do you, do you think it's because she felt called to do it? No. It's because that's all we had. We didn't have anybody else. So she had to organize that and take care of that amongst the other things that she did in the ministry. And so that was the beginning days. I didn't have but what I had to offer. So I had to do all the other things that were, were not being done. And one of my responsibilities was to lead praise and worship. I don't ever want to do that ever again the rest of my life. I, I, I love coming at the end after it's all been done. And I go, hallelujah. And I, you know, I get to do my little thing. But it's another thing altogether when you're starting off the whole program and you're leading the congregation and you're the senior pastor because I get to see everybody's faces. People are just looking at me like sitting down, coming in late. I keep my back to the crowd. I don't want to know nothing. I just praise God. Amen. Put, I just, oh, Jesus, keep my eyes closed because I don't want to see nothing because it will aggravate me. 
And I don't know who's who, so don't get mad at you. And maybe today was just one of those things. But I'm saying in, in general, if you find yourself coming late to the house of God, set your clocks a little bit earlier. Don't miss out on praise and worship. Oh, it will open your heart to so much more of God's word. It will blow you away. You'll think, once you do, you go, I can't believe I used to come in the third song. I'm never doing that again. Man, this is incredible. You must come. So I had, I had, had that pressure on me. Then I had to change the hat and become the senior pastor guy. And so there was all that stuff. But we had to do what we had to do. We offered to God what we had. We didn't complain. We just did it. I want to say this in closing. And I've said this before, but I, want to say, I just felt it was good to say today. How do you know when you have a dream that's from God? Number one, when it's bigger than you. So big that only God can get it done through you. Number two, a dream you know from God is when no matter what happens, trials or tribulations, delays, denials, pitfalls, you just can't let it go. You want to let it go because it's cost you things and it's cost you relationships and it's made you more frustrated. It's like, I just want to, I don't want to deal with this anymore, but you can't let it go is a strong indication you have a dream from God. And number three, number three, you know we have a dream from God when you're willing to take the risk on the little that you do have for the dream you don't have. And if you're not yet ready to take the risk, number one, you probably don't have a dream from God, or number two, if you do, you've allowed fear to wrangle you and hold you back, thinking that if I take a step, it's going to be a misstep, and I'm going to fall flat on my face. I have noticed in my life, the older that I get, the tougher it is to take a risk of faith. Because when I was younger, what did I have to lose? I didn't have anything. But the older you get, the more you amass, the more things you accumulate, the more things that you have. And you also know that you're not as young as you used to be. You don't have the same energy, all that stuff, right? So... It's tougher, but God doesn't care about any of that. If he tells you to do it, you've got one option, and that's to do it. Amen, somebody. Two fish and five loaves, something so small, but when it's put in Jesus' hands, and then it was given to the disciples to take and minister to with it, that's when they were able to feed a multitude. We must be willing, faith builders, we must be willing to be the little boy with the two fish and five loaves. We must be willing to sow our time. I know it's precious. I know. That's why he required it. He wants to be number one. You know, the Bible says God is jealous. Not like we're jealous. Differently. He, he's, let's put it this way. He knows who he is. And he, he desires for you to have the best, but he must be number one. No other gods before him. And so we sow our time to him because he's God after all. We sow our talents to him because 
He gave us the talents to begin with. And they belong to him. And we sow our finances, our treasure, because if we didn't have the time and we were never afforded the abilities and talents, we couldn't have the treasures. So, of course, those are the first three things he's going to require of our lives. If we're going to build a church for the next 20 years, we're going to have to have a people that are going to say, I'm willing to sow in my time, my talents, and my treasure to get it done. And we'll watch God continue to do things that will blow our minds and so, so, so much more. Amen.